HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. For more information, visit mofad.org. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today with John Frazier, who, by the way, uh, uh, I am fascinated about the latter things we're going to talk about, marathon and Muay Thai. Um, but before, we're going we're to talk about the food stuff. We're going to talk about how you are operating some of the most interesting, fantastic, and tasty um, vegetarian restaurants in New York. I air-quoted vegetarian because... I don't know. There, there's this connotation sometimes with vegetarian that, you know, you don't know how to cook other things outside of that. But your pedigree, your repertoire is, is, is wonderful and immaculate. So let's uh, start at that. Thank you. Know, you. Being a um, you know, California boy going through anthropology and understanding kind of the... the what do you uh, have on that paper? <laughs> oh, you don't want to know. I got people in the CIA. Wow. I don't mean Culinary Institute. <laughs> What's uh, my shoe size? <laughs> I, I mean, I look like a nine and a half to ten. Oh, ten and a half. I'm, I'm not good with those visual right. cues. I got my notes right here. But, you know, growing up in California, um, which has its own kind of cuisine, um, and then, you know, going to school for anthropology and studying what, you know, things mean, the deeper understanding of how things came to be, um, where did your appreciation for food come from? Hmm. Um, I thought we were just going to talk about potato fry bread. We, we can definitely <laughs> talk about it, too. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to turn my brain on for this one, is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let's try. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated with uh, the way people organize themselves and uh, kind of the things that pop out when they do. Um, and restaurants, uh, in, in their best cases, uh, they uh, are little cultures, little microcosms, little organisms. They live and breathe, and they're made up of people and ideas and rules and economics, uh, just like a society is. And each one of my restaurants and probably every restaurant, sitting in Roberta's for sure, um, is different. And um, I think that's kind of what keeps me 
going in the restaurant game. Uh, food is obviously uh, my passion. Food is the is the thing that gets me up, and that's my creative. Um, that's my paint, so to speak. But um, I'm much more fascinated by the thing called restaurant, and then you know, then the restaurant culture, which is sort of bigger than one restaurant, and then. And, and, and that and that becomes really a reflection um, of where you are and how you eat, and those are the very basic um, human values. Uh, there should be a period in there somewhere <laughs> in the start of another sentence. I'm sorry. No, you know it, it was wonderful because sometimes I interject and I go like I shouldn't have said something because that was a sound clip I wanted in its totality right. of, of you kind of explaining that in a way that um, one of my favorite photographers was this guy august sander and mm. it was an anthropological study of of workers almost in the way that like studs turkle did that with you know public radio right. in chicago um but it sounds to me like you know everybody's role and how they interact with each other's role within that restaurant and that that's kind of what excites you about being in the restaurant world yeah and and that that you can you can plan almost everything and it never goes right <laughs> just like yeah. just like humans right yeah. i mean i've i've said this many times but you know when i when i'm listening you know everyone is now um sort of has a, a this uh, gene of judgment uh, in restaurants we've been programmed to to uh you know we hear everyone judging each other's food and 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 you know, you watch the television show where there's a judge, and so you kind of think that that's what you're supposed to do when you're inside of a restaurant is become one of those judges. Like, I was fed. Now it's time for me to judge. Um, and, I, I, you know, I, when people are complaining about, you know, too much salt or, you know, it should have been a little hotter. And I, I just start to think about, you know, how messy human beings are and how, you know, completely stupid we are at our base level. And, you know, there is a human that planted the seed in the soil. There's a human that picked it. There's a human that packed it. There's a human that delivered it. There's a human that unpacked it all the way down the line, seasoned it, cooked it, brought it to your table. It's a miracle that it's not a complete disaster because it's a bunch of humans that had to go along that, that chain. And at, you know, at our best, we're not very good. Yeah, <laughs> but you are very good. I mean, uh, let, let's, let's go back to a two-year period uh, where you spent time at the French Laundry in Yountville. Um, and saw that brigade system within the kitchen, but yep. also saw those extensions of, you know, from farm to table, as, as mm -hmm. off use as that phrase, yep. you know. But, I mean, was that your first experience of seeing that complete microcosm? Yeah. Um, well, I would say it's my best. It wasn't my first necessarily. I, I had some experience in Los Angeles and, and elsewhere, but um, that that was the that was the one that that kind of clicked in the education, the college education, and and. And whatever excitement that is to kind of watch the motor run, the, the motor run of a restaurant, um, and the creative, the output, um, and really, um, there was another piece of this, which is my my parents were super blue collar and hard workers, um, and we worked so hard there, and and that was it. Just it all fell into place there, um, and that's when it kind of it made it started to bring a bunch of things together, and it made sense. Um, and and Thomas at that time was was in the kitchen, um, and you know we worked next to one another all day. And I, th I think that you know when you're able to touch and feel that that level of um, excellence and passion, um, you know even if you try not to, it rubs off on you. <laughs> yeah, I mean you you get to consider him a mentor, yeah. which is a wonderful thing. But what does a good mentor do? What do they mean to their mentee? And then also, how do you become a good mentor? Right. 
I'm not positive. I'm a, I'm a very good mentor. Um, it's something I'd like to, to work on. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think possibly the simplest way to put it is leading by example. So whatever you would ask one to do, you would be willing to do for yourself. Um, do yourself rather, excuse me. Um, but, but, you know, I, I think that taking risks and, 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 and caring about people, um, is, is maybe the simplest part, but also, um, the thing that I really loved about Thomas is that he pushed us so hard, um, and he brought us to levels that we didn't know we had. And 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 when you're able to realize a new level inside of yourself, then you're able to expect that of other people. So you know, after French Laundry, you push yourself even further. You know, overseas and yeah. cooked in Paris at mm-hmm. what was it, Talavan? Yeah, yeah, and uh, Maison Maison Blanc. Blanche, and then um, Arpege just for a bit. Yeah. yeah, and but what did those kitchens do for you? Right. Um, well. I mean, I would, I would, I would start a little bit wider than that and say, um, Paris did something to me, um, first, uh, understanding, you know, we had this sort of, uh, well, at the time this was years ago, there was this fake connection between food and culture. Um, it wasn't quite as, as, uh, solid it is, as it is now, at least it wasn't in my eyes. And in Paris, it's a very, very solid connection, food and culture, um, Markets and sort of center markets and things like that were, were really important for me to see, um, but it was it was one of the most challenging things. Um, I was uh, I was illegal, um, so I was having to scrap it together. Um, I was probably one of the better cooks in all the kitchens just because of my experience, but I didn't speak the language. So uh, there were some there were some fun moments, you know. <laughs> a mushroom was supposed to be in the window, and a doorod was instead. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, so trial by fire. But I think it, it was really just about um, uh, proving to myself that taking a risk was the, the, the right thing, um, which sort of segues into what landed me in New York. Uh, yeah. It, it was it really, I had nothing, and that was the risk. So I'm very comfortable in that, in that uncomfortable spot, I would say. Yeah. Are you comfortable now in New York after having been here for how many years now? Uh, I think I'm at 15. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'm comfortable. Um, I don't understand it, but I, I'm really comfortable. I, I, I think I, I've experienced less of New York than most people who've been here for 15 years because most of the time I've been in a kitchen. But um, I certainly respect my place and, and uh, appreciate what the city's offered me. I mean, we appreciate what you've offered the city, especially recently. Um, Nick's, I mean, first of all, I want to know where that name comes from. Yeah. But... Secondly, I want to know where that inspiration came from. I know you've been leading kind of a vegetarian diet for about five years now, but why is Nick's so important to you now? Right. So about five years ago, I I started to make changes personally in my diet. Um, It wasn't an all of a sudden cold turkey thing. It was slow and, and... and honestly, to call me a vegetarian now is incorrect. I still taste food at the restaurants. Um, I'm looking at a pizza with meat on top of it. I'm not going to eat it, right? So I do it for work. Um, uh, rather, I eat meat for work. Uh, on Thanksgiving, I had a little slice of turkey, and it was delicious. Um, but it's not in my everyday. It's a, I'm probably 99.9% not, you know, a vegetarian. Um, so we started on this journey around the same time that I became personally a vegetarian. I, I at the same time, um, did this thing called meatless Mondays, not having known that there was this brand called meatless Mondays at, it was quite serendipitous, but, um, uh, on Mondays at dovetail, excuse me. And, and 
I, I did it because it's slow in this in the summers at, at Dovetail Uptown during the week. Everyone's out of town, and so I did it as sort of to exercise a creative muscle. And we did this vegetarian thing, and and lo and behold, we were reaching people that we'd never reached before. Um, people who want to have a fine vegetarian experience, but don't really have the option in New York City. Most of the vegetarian here, it's not about dining, it's about eating. When You can kind of understand the difference between those two things. And all of a sudden, Monday became our third busiest day after Friday and Saturday. So commercially and, and creatively, things started to line up, and I started to think about, you know, what would happen if we did a vegetarian restaurant? Um, so I started looking about six months later, and it took me five years to find the spot. Um, I wanted it to be near Union Square, which is essentially the closest, quote-unquote, farm in, in New York City. And I wanted to do it um, with a little bit more weight, so I had to do another pro weight W E I changed it. Yeah. Right. I had to do another project to make sure that it wasn't just some outlier from, from, from the Upper West Side. Um, and it also allowed us to kind of uh, hone in on what that version of that restaurant would be. Um, I would say that a year after we, we, I found a space about a year after we started doing the Monday, the Monday thing. And I think that if we had opened that restaurant, it would have been a lot more fancy and it probably wouldn't have gone gone as well as it's going i don't think that people were ready for it and i also don't think that uh i would have been so sort of uh loosey with it the food is very loose and it's very fun and casual which is i think the perfect entry point for the populace so i'm glad it took me this long but it did happen yeah um, and and through every place i mean dovetail has uh i don't know maybe 18 dishes on the menu of which six are vegetarian um narcissa has i don't know a few vegetarian entrees and and these are some of the the best press and most ordered dishes. So the proof is in the pudding in terms of was it a good idea or how much of a risk was it? I don't really think it was that much of a risk because I have the results in my, in my reports that say that people want to eat vegetables. It was more risk management than, than risk itself. Totally. And, yeah. I, and I think that, I think that timing is very important. Um, you know, the, there was this pendulum swinging, um, when we started doing the the vegetarian Mondays, that was it was pork and whole pigs and um, you know pig tattoos and the whole thing, right? Um, and it took a while for the pendulum to swing the other way. And I think that we're finally sort of heading towards uh, something that's about health and wellness and paying attention to how what you eat affects your body and your brain and uh, your relationship with the future. Well, I'm I'm glad you did take that risk because with Without it, we wouldn't have carrots Wellington. <laughs> we wouldn't have potato fry bread. We wouldn't have buffalo fried cauliflower. We're going to take a quick break and come back and talk more to John Frazier about the new age of vegetarian cuisine here in New York City. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hi, this is Peter Kim, the executive director of MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. We're a nonprofit founded by Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues here on the Heritage Radio Network. And we want to take people on a learning adventure through the world of food. We just opened MOFAD Lab, our gallery space at 62 Bayard Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where we are currently showing Flavor, Making It and Faking It. Flavor features some very cool sensory interaction. 
Flavored tablets deliver tastings of vanilla and umami, and the Willy Wonka-inspired smell synth lets you compose over half a million different flavors. So come on by and visit MoFad Lab. We're open five days a week, and tickets are $5 for kids and $10 for adults. Learn more about the Museum of Food and Drink at mofad.org. Hey, and welcome back to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell, here with John Frazier of Dovetail, Narcissa, Nix, and... Right before the break, we were, well, I mentioned Carrots Wellington. And for those of you that don't know what that is, based off of Beef Wellington. Uh, buffalo fried cauliflower, based off of, you know, buffalo fried chicken wings. Um, what I find fascinating about these things is that, yes, they are now vegetarian appetizers and entrees, but they are derivative of, you know, a meat dish. Uh, do you think that's an important kind of line, a, a thread to follow when introducing, you know, vegetarian dishes to somebody that there has to be a basis of it from once being a meat dish or having those, those flavor profiles? Um, so I'll say two things about that. <clears throat> so the first is that um, uh, I, I think I think that when things are new, people like to be pulled along slowly. And the way that they can be pulled along is is by having an understanding of something um, and not having it be a completely new concept. Um, with Nix, we we're we're in a, a sort of a uh, we're in a conversation with the public, unlike one that I've seen before. I would imagine that um, uh, sushi restaurants at one point had it with the public. Uh, I would imagine that. Um, hmm. I think of another type of another type of recent cuisine entry, I mean, entry into into New York. I feel City. like Mexico, uh, Mexican cuisine right now. Yeah, to a lesser extent, but yeah, that's fine, right? So, which is that you know when you start when you do something that's new and that people don't have a uh, remembrance from their childhood of, um, and they're sort of pre-programmed to like or not like. Um, it's very interesting to watch their reaction to the food. So, I think that. Uh, so let me answer your question first. Sorry, <laughs> um, the the uh, those are just names, right? It's it's carrots wrapped in puff pastry. It's fried cauliflower with sauce on top of it. Um, those are just names that that help people understand that. Oh, we've seen this before. It might be delicious. It's just different, right? Um, but the, but the the kind of war that we're waging in terms of being new um, and a new style of cuisine. And I, by no means am I saying I made up vegetarian food. But what I am saying is that most people think that vegetarian restaurants and, and vegetarian food means health food. Most people mean that think that vegetarian restaurants mean um, alfalfa sprouts and uh, yoga, and it does it does to a certain extent. I like yoga and alfalfa sprouts, but I still have a belly, and there's a reason for that because I eat fried food and I eat shit that's bad for me. Um, it just happens to be vegetables. Well, well, let me stop you there for a second. Bad for you, maybe calorically, but calorically, but yeah. good for you when when it comes to satiating. Okay, yeah, yeah. right. And I'll, yeah, I mean, we can go down that road of, yeah, yeah. of satiation yeah. and 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 the idea that you know something doesn't have to die for you to for you to enjoy it, right? Um, but that's kind of a different conversation, and, and maybe one that we should table for now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sponsored by yeah. <laughs> Fairway Meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I, I, I think I think that um, we're, we're we're just having a conversation with the public, and that and that and that needs to be in a way, in a language that they understand, and and 
so those tags, those sort of uh, carrot Wellingtons and, and others, um, they're just they're just ways to, to bring people in and, and ease them into a different style of eating. Um, and I think the part that's kind of surprising um, is is that defining vegetarian food as something that is withholding from calories or withholding from flavor is incorrect. And that's the conversation we're trying to have now. How can we convince people that they're not on a diet when they're eating vegetables? They're not on a flavor diet either. I mean, as you just said, you know, right. um, how impactful. What's so amazing to me is when I think about, well, vegetables versus meat, you know, meat, I kind of explain as an underlying flavor of the animal itself. Um, but vegetables, like a carrot is a carrot. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what a carrot tastes like. And you can, you can dial that up. You can amplify it. You can change that. But when you have a steak, a steak is a steak. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's all the things that you marinate the steak in, the sauce. But I don't know. I just feel like uh, some of these core vegetables have so much more latitude than you know, the proteins that we, we come to expect. Absolutely. Yep. And you are doing that at Nick's, being able to express those things. Um, and then you take something so simple like the potato and turn it into a fry bread. Um, I mean, of Eastern European origin, I assume. Yep. Uh, and it's become a revelation to many. Why do you think that is? I mean, uh, it's just a different way to sin. It's a different way to, to it's a different way to have a French fry, simply put. And and I, I I just you know the the way that that dish came to be is I I saw it in a book. I've heard of it before. I've never had it before. So we decided to, to figure out what our version of that w- would be. Um, I would like to think that our potato fry bread is the most potatoy fry bread there is. Um, our 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 goal was to make it about the vegetable and 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 or the tuber, not about the not about the bread, um, and then top it with familiar ingredients like sour cream and cheese and radishes and and again there is some there is some playing going on, and I think that you know creativity is is at its best just play. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully that comes across on the plate, but it also hopefully makes you feel like you got the uh, got your money's worth, and that you, your palate is 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 gone somewhere it's never been before, and the room is nice and lively, and there's good music, and you know, and, and then the whole thing gets put together, because I don't just think it's about the potato fry bread. I think it's about you know the sexiness in the space and and the way that the way that the engagement of, of the staff is with the guest and, and how you feel when you leave. Right. Um, I mean, as a chef, I'm of course always focused on the food, but I certainly don't think that that's all that matters. The Tandor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I always wonder when you hear about a piece of equipment that's getting press, whether or not the restaurant was built around that mm-hmm. being a focal point yeah. or it just happened to be there. I mean, in which case was it for Nick's? Right. So, you know, in the original thing, we knew we wanted to have a very hot oven. I wasn't sure if it was a Tandor or a, or an Upright. Um, and the restaurant that we we took over was an Indian restaurant. So there happened to be two Tandor ovens, which we subsequently switched out because they were old and cracked up. But, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like you know, being given a gift of, 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 of decision, right. It was either going to be an upright 
sort of brick guy or a tandoor and it was sort of decided for us that that that's that's what it was going to be so this thing is a sort of clay um clay wrapped fire pit um that you pop your hand into and, and push bread onto the edge of it's about 700 to 800 degrees and the bread happens very very quickly um so there's like a, a nice even char on the outside and and then the sort of the crispy crunchy burnt ends that give it a little bit of um uh, texture and, and personality. Yeah, but are you making Indian food out of no. that tandoor? That, no. that, that's always the fascinating thing. I mean, because you use flavors of Mexico in some of your things. Yep. You use, you know, the potato fry bread is Eastern Bloc Europe, and then you have this tandoor, and there's an expectation to some people that hear equipment and relate it to cuisine. Yeah. Um, but you're making, you know, Middle Eastern dips to go with this. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even, I, uh, I would be very careful not to define any of the things that we're doing as authentic. Um, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I, we don't even call it naan. It's called tandoor bread yeah. because it's nothing like naan. Um, and in addition, the, the dips are, are sort of maybe from that area of the world because dippy things happen over there. Um, but it's certainly not. We're not trying to say that this is Meliziano Salata from, from Greece. Um, it's, it's our version of an eggplant dip. Yeah. And, but what it is is inevitably delicious. And I feel like if anyone hasn't gone to Nick's there and for a surprise, which is both good and sad, you know, like it shouldn't be a surprise that vegetables can be this delicious. Um, but it is a surprise to see such skill and thoughtfulness behind you know, the menu itself. And Thank you. That, that's, that's an ode to everything you've done in the past. Thank you. So it, it's just a really great time in New York to kind of champion this kind of eating and Thank this you. kind of microcosm that is a restaurant. Yeah, I, mean, we're, I mean, we're really, um, you know, we didn't make it up. I think, I think that there's, there's some kind of, like I said, pendulum swinging. And, and there's, there's something about the right now that is right for vegetables, um, whether it be the way that people see their own bodies or what's important to them. Um, but ultimately my, my, my goal is to create a category. So, so it's not about, um, you know, taking a night off and having vegetables in, in, in differently. You w- wake up and say, what do you want to eat tonight, honey? Uh, Mexican, Italian or vegetarian that it's creating a category. It's actually an option and it's not an option where you feel like you're being let down, but an option you run towards. Um, and I think that, you know, having other great chefs in, in, in the same category will help us out a lot. And I, I hearken back to sort of, um, I use sushi as an example a lot. You know, if you know, you were to say to my father when he was my age, you know, people eat sushi one raw fish one day a week. He would, no way. It's impossible. Raw fish is gross, right? It's because he didn't grow up eating it. He didn't understand that, that there was some virtue to it and that it's really, it really can be made delicious. Um, and I think we're in that sort of uh, baby steps um, for vegetarianism now. Yeah, and we're going to talk about Muay Thai and uh, marathoning another time. We have a lot more discussions, and we'll, we'll just do that by the tandoor. Thank you, John, for being on The Food Scene. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkill. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.